I remember my stepmom talking to me about leaving my dad and, and saying that she would take me with her. I felt really guilty about that and like that wasn't her responsibility. And I definitely knew I didn't want to stay with my dad. In the meantime, my mom has moved to Nashville, Tennessee. My grandmother lived here and she had come here to be around some family to get enough support to leave my stepfather and get out of that marriage. And she had done that at that point. He was no longer living with her. So I came to Nashville to spend the summer between my junior and senior year. And I ultimately decided to move here. And that is how 35 years later, I have ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. It has become home to me. My mom has my two brothers, so I get to be reunited with them. We're living in a rental house off of Belmont Boulevard. My mom is amazingly strong. She could run the world, but she never was able to go to college, never had that opportunity. And, and so, you know, her earning potential at this time was really, really limited. And so we were just really poor still. I went to Overton High School and I decided to go till noon every day. There was a co-op you could join where you could go work in a job from noon to five every day and you got school credit for it. And so I was like, sign me up for that. So I took myself to downtown Nashville of all the places and I got a job in a brokerage firm as a high school kid. But because of the poverty, our life continued to be pretty unstable. And I remember our lights getting cut off. I remember our utilities getting cut off. And I wasn't unhappy living with my mom. It wasn't terrible at all. But I do remember having this thought, probably as a pretty cocky 16-year-old at this point, I remember thinking, um, I can do better than this. And so by my senior year, I had started working nights hostessing at a restaurant and had somehow met some college girls who were working there. I don't remember how this relationship with these girls developed, but I remember them saying that they were looking for another roommate. I'm about to graduate high school and I have not, although I plan to go to college, I had not filled out any of the applications or done any of the work to do that. And nope, there was no one who was there to help me with that. And so I took myself downtown Nashville again, <laughs> somehow found out First American Bank was hiring, and I took myself downtown, thought I was just dropping off an application, and ended up getting hired that day for a full-time teller position. And this is before graduation. In fact, I was late to my baccalaureate practice for high school graduation because I was downtown getting a full-time job. I also had decided to take these girls up on this offer and I had decided to move into an apartment. So before, like two weeks before my high school graduation, I moved out of my home and moved into an apartment with two other women. On the morning of my high school graduation, my mom had to come to my apartment to pick me up, to take me to graduation. And that began a whole different chapter of my college years. 
I ended up working the first semester at the bank and then somehow figured out how one applies for college and applies for tons of financial aid and tons of scholarships and all the things that I could think of to apply for. And I ended up starting Belmont and it was Belmont College at the time in the January semester um, after graduation. I moved myself to school. In fact, I didn't even know that parents moved kids into school and that it was the deal that it actually is until the next fall semester when I saw all of the parents bring their kids to school. And I was like, oh my gosh, parents actually move their kids into college where I showed up with my packed car from my apartment and moved myself into college. Pretty immediately, I ended up assistant resident director of the dorm at Belmont because it gave me room and board. And I got paid a paycheck. I think books were included. And I think I got $500 toward tuition each semester. And the thing I like the most, my own parking space. I actually hired trained and managed a staff of receptionists that manned the front desk at the dormitory and did their payroll. And that is one of the many ways that I paid my way through school. Pretty soon after starting school, my mom calls and she lets me know that she's having some issues with my younger brother and that he is saying some things and doing some things that caused her to fear that he had been abused, perhaps in his background. And so that one call is one of the things that cracked me open in life. Her telling me that and the fact that I think I was finally safe, I felt safe, even though I lived at college in a dorm room, it was the safest I'd ever been in my life. And I literally began to come apart. I stumbled into the Student Life Center at Belmont and just told someone, I have no idea who, I need help. And they got me into therapy. Probably wasn't the highest quality therapy in the whole wide world, but boy, did God use it to begin a journey for me. And boy, was it better than nothing. Not long after that, a physician said, because I was having all these health issues, I don't think this is physical anymore. I think you're depressed and recommended medication. And I got on my first antidepressant and it helped me immensely. I worked myself to the bone during college. I regularly stumbled into my advisor's office and said to him, I cannot do this anymore. I can't fill this paperwork out. You, you have to fill the, all the financial aid, scholarships, all of it. You fill it out every semester. And I was so tired of doing it. I had no support. There were a lot of weekends when the cafeteria was closed that I really didn't know where I was going to get money to eat for the weekend. 
I ended up working again at First American, and I would go work in the drive-thru in Hillsborough Village from three to six every day. I worked retail, I babysat, I did all I could do. I was a religion and social work major, which I find somewhat hilarious that I worked this hard to pay for school and managed to settle on not one, but two majors guaranteed to yield me very little earning potential in the future. But those were the things I was interested in. One notable thing that happened during college is my stepfather, Johnny, died. He and my mom obviously stayed divorced and separated. Um, He was not a part of our lives at all and ultimately ended up living on the streets of Nashville. And I just remember the feeling I had of knowing he was close, knowing he was in Nashville, knowing I was in college at Belmont, and he was living in and out of the rescue mission and hospitals. When he died, I was still terrified of him. And I remember going to the funeral, and I would have been 18 or 19. This was right at the beginning of college, and I asked everyone to leave the room. It was an open casket, and even seeing him dead, I was not convinced that he was not going to reach a hand up and grab me. And I remember thinking, this won't be peaceful to me if this is how I continue to feel about him. And so I cleared the room, and I brought a chair up to his casket, and I sat there until I could reach out and touch his hand and rest assured that he was indeed dead and he was not going to hurt me anymore. So I graduate with both of my pretty useless degrees. About this time, I'm involved in a church out at Franklin, Christ Community, and we go on a singles trip. We go rafting on the Ocoee. We had camped out the night before and we're getting up the next day to go rafting. And it was extremely early in the, in the morning. I remember stumbling out of my tent and running smack dab into a couple of guys standing there throwing the football at like six in the morning. And since I tend to be a little bit of a smart aleck, I say, how can you all be throwing the football at 6 a.m. in the morning? And I mean, without missing a beat, one of these men looked back at me and said, how can you be wearing lip gloss at 6 a.m. in the morning? And indeed I was, because my friends will tell you, anyone who knows me will tell you, I always have on lip gloss. And little did I know that would be the man that I ended up marrying. His name was Jim. We met then, and basically, from what I understand, he took one look at me and said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. He was seven years older than me, so I was 24. He was 31, owned his own home, established in his career, and basically had known what he was looking for for a while and took one look at me and said, that's her. I, however, was not on board with this idea. And I often say, I think because he was so normal and so emotionally available and so kind, he was such a good friend to me. We became best friends for sure first. It didn't feel normal to my body. And so I thought something was wrong. 
I thought I didn't have feelings for him. I thought I wasn't attracted to him, all the things. Turns out (laughs) he was just a normal man who was really good to me. And that didn't feel right in my body because I had never known that. So we have a whirlwind first two years. We basically date, get engaged, and get married in one year's time. We're married three months. We get pregnant. And on our one-year anniversary, we go to dinner at Cracker Barrel with our oldest son, JR, in the infant seat sitting on the floor beside us. The part of our life that was normal was very, very normal and very sweet and fun and steady and stable. And he was just a great match for me. And most of my friends would tell you the love of my life and my soulmate. When I get pregnant three months into her marriage, we were visiting his family in Maryland, and he gets a a bad stomach bug coming back from that trip, and he just doesn't ever get well completely. He just had a lot of lingering symptoms afterwards, and so he ends up going to the doctor, going to one doctor, they refer him to another doctor, then they want to run a test and we're waiting for the test and then we're waiting for the results and then they want to refer him to a completely different doctor and then he wants to run a test and we just ended up in this really long process of trying to figure out what was going on. But he ultimately was diagnosed with transverse myelitis, which is just a, a rare neurological disorder that is caused by a virus in your body. And some people get it and are paralyzed from the neck down. He got it and they predicted a full recovery, but he never fully recovered and he didn't get back to 100%. He kind of took a two-week vacation and went out on the road with a buddy who was building log cabins just to kind of clear his head and have some thinking time. And he ends up getting a hernia on this trip. And he comes home and because we're thinking about changing jobs, we want to have the repair done really quickly before we get on COBRA or whatever. So we go in for that, a very small procedure. I mean, not even 24 hours in the hospital, outpatient. So the surgeon comes in after he's finished his surgery. I'm in the room by myself and he says, you know, when you're under anesthesia, Sometimes we can feel things in your body that we can't normally feel because your body's completely slack. And his right kidney feels large. You might want to get it checked out and literally turns around and leaves. And I remember in that moment calling my mom and saying something's wrong. Something's very, very wrong. So we, again, rush to have this looked at because of him quitting his job, because of the insurance issue. And lo and behold, never would have done this. Stay at the hospital and decide to wait on the results. We go in the old St. Thomas when they had a food court. We go to have lunch together and just kind of had a date. We walk down, get the results. We take him to his neurologist who's in the same building who prescribed the test, they say, yes, we're expecting you. We think we're dropping him at the desk and going to pick up our son at Mother's Day Out. They say, yes, come right back. 
the doctor wants to see you. Next thing we know, we're sitting in his office and he's telling us that Jim has a huge cancerous tumor in his abdomen. He breaks the news and then looks at us and says, I'm sending you right now to a surgical oncologist in this building. Next up, we're sitting in his office, hearing what they know about what's going on and what the next steps are. He ended up being diagnosed with a retroperitoneal liposarcoma and also very rare form of cancer It is very aggressive. It is very difficult to treat, especially when it's in the area of the body that his was in. I didn't necessarily know all that when we started, but we began a three and a half year journey of fighting cancer. Aggressive surgery is really the only way to treat this and it does tend to come back often. And so six months later, he's due for his CAT scan Out of nowhere, I get a phone call from Memphis. Again, you remember my my dad was married. She had a son from her first marriage. They had a son together. So my half-brother on my dad's side, Hugh, who was named after my dad, was 15 and had just committed suicide. In the middle of having a one and a half year old husband who's fighting cancer, I drop everything and go to Memphis to support my dad and his mom and help plan the funeral and do all the things. And I remember thinking, God would never let Jim's test result, this next result, be bad. Like, God just wouldn't do that. There's so much hard. This is too much. And so he goes for the test without me because I was in Memphis at the funeral And that sweet man didn't tell me until I got home that his cancer was back and it was worse than ever. So he had another really complicated surgery. Six months later, it came back again. He's on disability at this point, so he's home full time. We're home together. He ended up having a third surgery. And after that surgery, the surgeon, same surgeon from the beginning, comes out, who we know all too well at this point and says, I couldn't get it all. And I knew when and if that ever happened that it was the beginning of the end because they had always told us that chemo doesn't work on his cancer. And I knew if we ever got to the point where they recommended chemo, we were just going to be throwing the kitchen sink at it, basically. He did a round of chemo and lost all of his hair and was pretty sick. It was pretty bad. And they go in and do a scan after, and it hadn't done anything. It hadn't shrunk the cancer at all. It hadn't worked. Um, And so it's almost Christmas time, and Jim says, I want to take a break. Uh, Jim was an avid snow skier. He loved skiing. I had never skied. I grew up in the South, and we were poor, and so we didn't ski. Um, I'd never been skiing in my life. And he decided that in the new year, he wanted to take me and our son skiing before he started chemo again. So he starts making plans to take us to Utah to ski. We can't just go to like Indiana. We got to go to like a major 
Mountain. And we get there in March, spring break time, and it was miserable. He basically couldn't leave the room. The altitude did not collide very well with his cancer. And I was on my own on the side of a mountain in the blizzard trying to figure out with a four-year-old ski rentals and lift tickets and ski school and all the things. I was terrified we were going to get stuck in the hospital out there. Somehow, Jim managed to to hang in there until the very last day. By the last day, I was like, I'm done with skiing and I don't care if I ever ski again. To this day, I've never skied again. It will take an act of God to ever get me on a mountain again. And he wanted to go out and ski on the last day before we left. And I really believe gave all the last life in his body. He went out and skied his heart out the last day. We come home from Utah, and he died three weeks later in my arms in our bedroom at our house. He said, I love you. And then he said, Jesus. And then he collapsed. He was gone. And our son was four and a half. That began some of the hardest, most painful work I've ever done in my life. Because of where I come from, because of all the brokenness in my past, the one thing that I wanted in life was an intact family. I wanted to get married and stay married. I wanted to have a 30-year anniversary with that man. I wanted to have three kids back-to-back. I didn't want any step-parents. I didn't want any different last names. I didn't want to ever move. I wanted consistency and stability and love, and I wanted to break all the curses, and I thought that's what we had. And when that was taken from me, it deconstructed everything about me and everything about life and everything that I believed about the world and God. And it was a really long process of rebuilding that, all the while trying to parent a grieving child. We got a year and a half down the road, and it's time for JR to start kindergarten. And we picked a private K-12 through school in Nashville. Unbeknownst to me, met some of the sweetest community and sweetest friends and some of the best men who would teach my son how to be a man, some of the best coaches who would coach my son and also teach him how to be a man for the next 19 years. And it was one of the sweetest places that we could have ever ended up. I, when he was in second grade, went back to grad school to get my master's in marriage and family therapy. Probably four years after Jim died, I began dating a man named Justin. 
We dated for a couple of years. He had just moved to town. He was a, a basketball coach and he was on the staff at Vanderbilt. Brand new to town. We ended up meeting on a dating app, match.com back in the day. We ended up getting married two years in. Our relationship was pretty unique because I didn't co-parent with anyone. And we did our whole relationship with JR, basically, um, who was nine to 11. We didn't get to take trips together, travel together. We didn't live together. We didn't move in together. I had a young child at home and I didn't want to do that. We get married and move in. Also got pregnant pretty quickly with my now 15-year-old, Jack. And I would say our relationship was difficult from the beginning. I am not sure that we were ever a good fit for one another. We did a lot of therapy. Um, I got us in therapy almost immediately because it was hard, again, from the beginning. Blending a family is really hard. I've mentioned my stepdad, and I, I think I had a lot of stepdad issues, and so that letting him into our life in that capacity was hard for me. I was very codependent, and I was very controlling, and not controlling like talk this way, dress this way, do this, but codependent and just really committed to trying to change him. And I'm sure that was a shitty feeling for him. We did therapy throughout most of our marriage. The last year of our marriage, we did therapy weekly for an entire year. We separated once and we reconciled. And ultimately, eight years into the marriage, I chose to divorce him. I cashed out my 401k to hire an attorney, and we divorced. We did 50-50 with Jack. JR at this point is a senior in high school, so he's about to leave for the Naval Academy. And my divorce activated a whole different level of pain around not feeling chosen. And I know that it's not that Justin didn't choose me. I'm not saying that's what he meant. I'm just saying that's how it felt to me, not being picked or chosen. And so I began another fairly intensive grieving process of all that my divorce activated and brought up for me. It's been nine years now since my divorce, and these years have been a lot of rebuilding. They have been further deconstructing. I think... I have, again, had to rebuild a really lovely life for myself, um, just like I did after Jim died. I feel a lot of shame at how behind I am for my age. My marriage and my divorce created a lot of financial hardship for me. And though I make good money, still digging out from that hole, I'm a 53-year-old woman who is literally starting all over in life, it feels like sometimes. I love what I do for a living. I am doing what I was literally made to do. 
I'm so thankful for it. I'm good at it. I love my clients. They love me. It is a huge, huge accomplishment for me, what I have built here in my business. I've stayed in therapy. I, turns out, have always been really confident and really independent. And I thought that meant that I loved myself. And guess what? It didn't. And so these last couple of years have been a really big focus on just loving myself more, valuing myself more, believing I'm worthy of a good life, of a happy life. I still take medication. I have dated. (laughs) That has not been the, the funnest part of these last years. And I'm not in a relationship. I haven't had a serious relationship since my divorce. I've dated a good bit. I'll tell you where I am today on that. And that is that I'm focused on my business and on myself and enjoying these last few years with Jack. And I will not settle. I believe that there's someone out there who can be an equal to me and who I can have the connection that I want to have with someone and who will be mature and wise and have done some work on himself. I believe he's out there and maybe he'll find me one day. Maybe I'll find him one day. But for now, I am building a really, really lovely life that I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I've built some of the best friendships God has been so good in the people that He has put in my life. I still am in community with all those really close friends that were with me when JR started school. My oldest started school. We're still friends 25 years later. And then when you have one 12 years apart, you have to redo that all over again. And we have great community with His friends and the parents of His friends. And I'm in a really good place. Now I'm going to update you on the characters in the story. First, my faves. My two boys are now 27 and 15. JR uh, graduated from the Naval Academy and is serving his time back to the Navy. He's been in Hawaii and he is about to end up in San Diego. So you better believe mom's going to be on his doorstep about as soon as he gets there. And I'm so excited for him and his next career move. He's an amazing young man. I can tell you firsthand, having adult children is truly one of the best things ever. And I love who he's become. And it's just really fun to spend time with him. My younger son, Jack, is now 15. And he is just this bright, huge, passionate light that God created for something so special. I just can't even imagine what it's going to be. He is a collision of some of the biggest gifts, talents, intellect, humor. He truly is the child that one second I want to choke him. Not that I ever would. And the next second, I am doubled over laughing at him. He definitely keeps me on my toes. 
He's also like his older brother, an amazing athlete. And he's a freshman in high school. He goes to the same school JR went to. So we still are in that sweet private school community. And I have a feeling college athletics will be in my future again. It's going to be really fun following him around the country doing whatever he decides to do. The rest of the characters, my mom lives in Nashville still, and we have a good relationship. One of my half-brothers lives here with his wife and a nephew and a nephew on the way. Uh, My other brother lives in Germany and has an almost teenage daughter and we get to see them. We've got to see him twice this last year. So that was really special. My other brother, uh, my other half brother, Hugh, who would have been 40 now is in heaven. My stepdad, as I mentioned previously, died when I was in college. My real father continues to live in Memphis, and over the years, our relationship gradually diminished until now we are estranged and have no relationship whatsoever. And that's very difficult. And I continue to do a lot of grieving about what my parents weren't able to be what he was never able to be and what he continues to not be able to be for me. It was really important to me to share my story this first time. I understand it's really heavy. I understand that there's a lot to it. I needed you all to know that I'm starting this podcast because I want to share ideas and thoughts and have guests and cover topics that have literally saved my life over all these years. And I know they work because they have healed me beyond what I ever thought would be possible coming from where I come from. And these aren't just gonna be ideas that I learned in grad school or even that I use in my office, but these are ideas I believe in to the very core of my being. And I want to bring them to y'all so that we can all grow and heal and be our best versions of ourselves.